Jesse Chase on with Lisa Blanchard as the host of Airing Addiction. I share often my journey started on this campus. Got sober as a client here, just like you. I really do see phenomenal change. Always hope. I've seen situations that on the surface look impossible, become possible. Doing this podcast is to share those recovery stories, be honest about what the challenges are and have some real conversations, but kind of share that out on the, the airwaves. Yeah, welcome those who are listening live. Uh, to our episode today of Airing Addiction. I'm Lisa Blanchard. Um, this is um, November 14th, if you are listening live. And so we are in the month of what we'll often call a month of gratitude, of Thanksgiving, which is just next week. And I, myself, am really grateful and thankful for our two guests today. And I am going to let Jesse introduce them. Thanks, Lisa. I'm grateful for our guests, too. I'm grateful for you, Lisa, James, behind the scenes. Uh, sorry about that. That's muscle memory. Whenever James gives me the cue, I just jump in and say hi. Uh, but I I am truly grateful for our guests today. I, I think I say that every episode that I'm excited for this episode. Um, and just before we hit record, we were talking about gratitude being a theme, not only because it's you know close to Thanksgiving, but also uh, 75% of the people on this podcast have graduated Spectrum Residential Program. And I am only speaking for myself, guys, when I say I'm extremely grateful for that place. Uh, I wouldn't be the man I am today without that place. So who do we have here today? We have the president and the vice president of Spectrum's Alumni Association, Matt and Dylan. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Glad. thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure's all ours. Glad we could uh, make this happen and that you could join us. So we thought today for an extra special episode that we would hear a little bit from each of the guys about their experience, strength, and hope, and then come back together for the last third of the podcast to talk about what the Alumni Association is, if you're interested, how to get involved, and what they have planned. So I believe we agreed that Dylan would kick us off. The floor is yours, man. Uh, thanks. Um, so yeah, like you said, my name is Dylan and uh, I'm the co-chair of the Spectrum Alumni. Um, you know, something that me and Matt got asked to do. And, you know, Matt's my best friend and uh, he, he got asked to do it. And of course, uh, when he when he offered me um, to do it with him, I couldn't say no because we do everything together. Um, you know, so a little bit about me. Um, Addiction has played a part, you know, a, a role in my life for, you know, a, a while. Um, Started off, you know, probably like, you know, it became an issue probably around like 15. Um, before that, you know, maybe like 12, 13, 14, I was like smoking weed here and there. Um, you know, something that I thought was a, a normal thing for teenagers to do. Um, when not everyone around me was doing that, I was like the only kid in my friend group doing that, but I still thought that it was normal behavior. Um, but it really became a problem probably like in, in a, you know, high school when I found out like, you know, there was better things out there to get me high than weed. Um, and, and then that's when I found like harder drugs like cocaine and Percocet. Um, and, you know, I'm addicted to anything. Uh, I'm addicted to more. doesn't matter what you offer me. I'll do, I'll do it. doesn't matter what it, I won't even ask what it is. If you tell me it'll get me high, um, I'll, I would have taken it. Um, but once I found Percocets, that's, that's where the, the love set in. Um, so like, you know, like I said, I would do anything, but my drug of choice would be opiates. And, you know, I was, um, 
you know, doing perks for a while. And then like it goes, it's a progressive disease. It just progressed fast. And when someone, it took no convincing at all for someone to say, Hey, why are you getting high off of that? When you can be getting this um, for much cheaper and you can, you know, get high more off of it. And I was introduced to heroin. And like I said, it took no convincing at all. And I immediately jumped right on board. Um, that was probably like my freshman year in high school. Again, I was the only person I knew in my, it, like, I, I grew up in Clinton, very small town, very small school. I was the only person I knew doing hard drugs like that. But I still thought I was just being um, a typical teen experimenting with drugs. And uh, uh, sophomore year of high school, it took no convincing for someone to say, why are you, you know, why are you sniffing it when you could be shooting it? And just like that, with no other thought, when I've told myself many times in the past, like, we all do this lines in the sand that we draw that we're never going to cross. I'm never going to be homeless. I'm never going to, you know, inject it. These, these imaginary lines that I kept drawing and I kept stepping over them. And I told myself I would never shoot it. I would only sniff it. And, uh, and of course, that day came where someone offered it to me and I just immediately said yes. And, uh, and so, so sophomore year of high school, I was already shooting heroin. Um, and it, you know, continued continued to progress. My family knew I had a problem. I knew, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I knew I had a drug problem and I knew I needed help for it. But honestly, I just didn't care. Um, I, I, I looked at it as I was having fun. And when I want to stop, I'll stop. I just don't want to stop right now. And, um, you know, I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth, by some miracle, I made it through high school. Um, with very bad grades. Um, that's another story we can get into. Like a quick side story, I just uh, applied to be in electrical school and I had to get my transcripts and I didn't pass enough in math to, to you know, to do that. So I had to do a math course for them. But anyway, I, I barely graduated high school and uh, my parents gave me the ultimatum because of course I was living at home. They said, you know, you need to get help or you need to get out of our house. Uh, I said, you know, I'll go, I'll go get some help. Um, not because I wanted to, but because I, I had to in order to stay at their house. I landed in a detox in Rhode Island. I couldn't tell you the name of it. Um, I know I was there for 31 days. I couldn't tell you a caseworker's name. I couldn't tell you a single thing about an aftercare plan I made. All I know is by the time I left, they said, you might want to throw your clothes out because we found bed bugs in one of the rooms. That's the only thing I can remember from it. And the day I left, if they had given me a lie detector test and asked me, are you going to stay sober? I would have said yes, and I would have passed it because I believed that I was going to stay sober. I came here for 31 days. I did detox and I thought that I thought that was AA. I thought that was getting sober. And I thought that was all I had to do is show up for 31 days and then I'd be sober. And I left and I went home that night and I got high and it blew my mind. Um, I couldn't understand what didn't work. Well, what didn't work is I didn't do anything. I just sat there for 31 days and I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, and so you would think I would immediately go back into treatment, but no, not, not an, uh, an addict like me. I, I continued to go on a longer run. I get arrested. Uh, I've been to jail. Um, you know, it started a revolving door of detoxes, knowing that something different had to change, but I'd go in and do the same thing and get high when I left. It just made no sense. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and, and expecting a different result is exactly what I was doing the whole time. Um, and then during this time, uh, I ended up meeting a girl who, um, you know, our relationship was based on drugs. She liked to get high a little and I liked to get high a lot. So we we're like a perfect match. And uh about six months into the relationship, uh, we found out she was pregnant and she immediately stopped doing the little bit of drugs that she was doing. And, uh, and she gave me an ultimatum. She said, you can either kick rocks and flip flops and not be a part of our life, or you can get sober for, for the baby. I knew I wasn't, I, I knew I wasn't ready to be a dad. 
but I also wasn't ready to just say goodbye to her and to, you know, my, my child. So I said, all right, yeah, I'll get, I'll get sober. And uh, she said, all right, you have until uh, our daughter's born. And I said, I was like nine months to get sober, piece of cake. I was like, that's like such a long time. That's almost a year. I could definitely do this. Well, that nine months went by pretty fast. And, uh, and I would get good at hiding it and she would think I was sober and then I'd get caught and then it'd all start over. You know, didn't go to, didn't go to treatment, didn't go to a single AA meeting, didn't call anybody that I knew was sober. I just, just my way of getting sober was hiding it. That, that's how I got sober. I made everybody think I was sober. And, um, uh, the baby was, you know, about to be due. And like, I had this thought that this is what I needed. Actually, I needed some responsibility in my life. And this is, this was what was going to get me sober. And, uh, you know, she was born and, and I, and I still wasn't sober. And then I had this thought, like when I hold her and I look into her eyes, it'll be this magical moment and everything will change. And she was born. I held her, I looked into her eyes and I didn't feel any different. What I wanted to do was celebrate. And the only way I know how to celebrate is by getting high. So I had my dealer come meet me at the hospital. Um, and I got high in the hospital and ended up getting kicked out for stealing stuff. So the day my daughter was born, I got high in, in the delivery room in the, in the hospital and then got kicked out that night for stealing stuff from the cafeteria because I can't stay sober for one day. Doesn't matter what's at stake. Didn't matter what the circumstances were. I couldn't stay sober for it. And, uh, and so, again, you would think, oh, that's a wake up call. I need to get help. Not me. I, 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 that wasn't my rock bottom. It continues to get worse. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, from that story, you can tell she broke up with me. Uh, maybe my daughter was like six months old when she broke up with me. And, uh, and I was allowed to see my daughter um, a few times a week. I was living at my mom's. I'd get to take her for a couple nights a week. But every time her mom would come to pick her up, I'd be nodding out or uh, I would be high or I'd be sick because I didn't have anything. I just wasn't a good dad. I couldn't show up for myself. So there was no way I could show up for a kid. Um, and after a while of that, she, um, you know, she called DCF on me and uh, told them what I was doing when I had my daughter. And, you know, I was so resentful at her and I was so, and I had so much hatred towards her for doing that. Today, I see it in a much different light. But at the time, I was pissed. How dare she call DCF on me and tell him that I'm a bad dad. All she had to do was talk to me is what I thought. And, uh, and she did. She tried to talk to me a hundred times and I ignored it every single time. And she told me this is what was going to happen. And so, um, again, you would think that would be a wake up call. I couldn't see my daughter anymore. And you would think that uh, I would have, um, you know, gone into treatment, but no, not me. Um, I used that hatred towards her because how dare she call DCF, that resentment towards her. I used that self-pity as like, oh, poor me. Um, I don't get to see my kid anymore. Or you'd get high if you had my life too. I used all those emotions for fuel for drinking and drugging. Um, and like my outlook on life or like my outlook on that situation was you want to tell me I can't see my daughter because I'm a bad dad. And because I get high and stuff like that, well, I'll show you what getting high is like, you want to see what getting high is. I'll really show you what getting high is. So I, I got much worse um, after that. And uh, that went on for about a year of me ignoring DCF, not doing anything they asked me to do. And, uh, and then I had a moment of clarity and I decided that I would um, try to get back into her life. So I, you know, um, scheduled the court date. Showed up to court. Um, I showed up to court alone because no one wanted to go with me. My family didn't think I deserved to see her and I had no money for a lawyer and I had obviously no friends. So I showed up to court alone and she showed up with her mom, her dad, a lawyer and two people from DCF, all on her side saying, we don't think he should see his daughter and me alone. All I had to say was like, pretty please. I had nothing else to offer other than like, how about a second chance? I had nothing. 
I wasn't sober and I had nothing to offer the situation. And uh, we go uh, in front of a mediator and the first thing out of his mouth is, uh, did you drink last night? And I said, what? No. He goes, well, it reeks like alcohol in this room. It's not that I didn't, I, it's not, I didn't drink that night. I drank that morning before going to court because I told myself it was going to be a long and stressful day and I needed something to take the edge off. And uh, so I got drunk before court. And um, of course, we go in front of the judge and she's, she's, you know, says absolutely not. And so I argue with her and she threatens to, you know, hold me in contempt. And it was, uh, it was not good. Um, it, it, Cause those are the things I do. So again, I can't stay sober for one day. I couldn't stay sober the day she was born. And I couldn't stay sober the day that I might make some leeway to get to see her again. I just couldn't do it. Um, and I told myself that if it didn't go well, I would call DC, uh, I would call detox. So I walked out of that courthouse. That was January 6th, 2020. I sat on the courthouse steps and I called detox. Um, I was defeated. Um, it was, it, it was essentially my rock bottom. It was where I needed to be. You know, you can never get in, you can never get in the way of an alcoholic in his rock bottom because it, it needed to happen. You know, my family was trying to prevent it from happening my whole life. And, uh, and, and honestly, you just can't get in the way of it because it, ne it needed to happen for me to be where I am today. Um, and, uh, I called Spectrum Detox, uh, and they answered the phone and they got me in. She said, the lady on the phone said, uh, we just had somebody cancel. Can you be here within like 45 minutes? And, uh, and I just said yes. And I showed up. And I don't know what I was showing up to. I don't know what I was showing up for, but I just decided to show up for life. Um, and I stopped saying no to everything good people offered me. And I just started saying yes. So I was there. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I, I thought, honestly, I thought it was going to be like every other time I was going to sit there until I completed detox and I was going to go home. That was going to be my thing. I was going to show DCF a slip saying I, I graduated detox. Like, look at me. I'm, I'm doing so great because I went to seven day treatment. Um, can I see my kid again? Like, that was my plan. I didn't have a plan. And while I was there, of course, they offered me uh, further treatment. And uh, of course, like I said, I said, yes, I just stopped saying no. I said, yep, anything you guys think will help me, I'll do. Because left to my own devices, I can't make good choices. Half my brain manufactures bullshit and the other half buys it. So like, I tell half my brain some nonsense and the other half is like, yeah, that's a really good idea. So left to my own, I can't come up with good decisions. So I was like, whatever you guys have to offer, I'm going to do it. And they sent me up to the young adult program. Um, it was a year program. You could stay for a year to uh, six months to a year. And uh, while I was there, I just started to take my recovery very serious. Um, I decided to participate in my recovery. And, and like, you know, they give you like little worksheets um, and like, you know, with questions on them every day for group. And instead of just like writing one word answers, I actually sat there, thought about the question, wrote down like a long winded answer on how, how I was feeling that day or what are my triggers or, you know, what should I watch out for? Like all sorts of questions that I would get asked. And I took the time to sit there and answer them honestly. And honestly, and, and I'll say it was kind of like fake it till you make it because I wanted to phase up. And the only way to phase up was to be like a good a good participant in the, in the program. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to get to phase four. I'm going to get allowed to work. So I'm just going to do the work they want me to do. And after doing that for a little while, I started like looking in the mirror and being like, Hey man, I'm actually proud of you. Even if, even if like you had to fake it to get here to, at this point, I was like learning stuff about me and like answering those questions, honestly. And like when I talked to my clinician, I would talk to her honestly, like, Hey, what's going on in my life? And like, Oh, I can't see my daughter and this and that. And, and I was honest about it. It's the first time I was honest about anything. Um, and I started to like the way it made me feel. And after, after faking it for a while, it just become, it just became, I liked, I liked to do it. I like to answer. Honestly, I like to be open with people. And, uh, 
And my time there went great. I mean, it was January 2020. So two months later, COVID happened. So everything came kind of, you know, went a different route than how it was typically going. But I, I had a great time there. And Spectrum is a huge part of my recovery. That's why I'm so grateful to give back. Uh, I'm so grateful when you guys asked me to do things like this, because like you guys were there for me when I wasn't there for myself. And, uh, and like, I don't know where I'd be at if you guys weren't there, like the meetings that come into Spectrum every week to do commitments. Granted, they got switched to Zoom, but they were always there. And, and I'm, one of them is my home group now that I still go to every single Monday because I met them while I was there. Um, you know, I can't say enough on what Spectrum did for me. I stayed in that program for a year. And, I, you know, when I left, I, I did what I was told to do. I went to sober living. I had a place to go. I could have went home to my mom's, but I didn't trust myself. I had been sober for like um, almost a year. It was like almost 11 months. And uh, I didn't trust myself to just go home. So I went and I, and I sat in sober living for another three months. Um, going back to the spectrum every week to pick guys up for meetings because someone did that for me putting my hand up to be someone's sponsor because someone did that for me. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was just, I, I got a sponsor while I was in, while I was in the young adult program. And I said, you know, people told me, listen, take, take his suggestions. That's all I did. I just listened to everything he told me to do. And I did it because I don't know, clearly, clearly it worked for you. So it literally just has to work for me. Um, go to meetings, ask for help, get a sponsor. Like those are all things I was told to do. So I just did it without like question. If someone told me hop on one foot, pat your head and rub your belly. I would have did it because I, I I didn't know what else to do. I had no clue, um, and it worked, and it's been working. Um, you know, small things like put your shopping shopping cart away after you go, you know, grocery shopping. Pick up your pick up after your dog when it goes to the bathroom in the yard. Like all those small things, people told me I should do to be a decent human being is the things that I do today. Um, you know, and then it's just crazy. Like to pivot a little bit, like I still get blown away by such small things now that I'm sober that normal people are like, yeah, Hey, that's just like, I've been doing that my whole life. Like I, I, I've set my like credit card for one. I have a credit card blew my mind when I got accepted. And, uh, and then I set, um, to pay the bill, I set it to auto pay. And I'm like, this is so crazy. And like normal, my normal friends are like, yeah, dude, that's what I do. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't do those things. I went to Walmart the other day and came out with Swiffer wet pads and like cleaning supplies. And it's just such a small thing, but I'm like, I was not going into Walmart to buy cleaning supplies when I was getting high. All that money went to drugs, and now I can buy Swiffers? Like, what? Um, or like standing in the checkout line at Walmart and not stealing candy off the off the rack. It Such small things blow my mind today. Um, and it's awesome, dude. I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful AA was here. I'm so grateful Spectrum was there. Um, and I'm so grateful that AA welcomed me in with open arms, not caring what my past looked like, not caring uh, that I didn't have anything to offer anybody. They were just there for me, dude. And, and specifically, TSDD was just there for me. And uh, they helped me through it when I couldn't help myself. Um, no, and I don't want to take all the time, so, so I'll end with this so Matt can share. Unfortunately, yeah. I still don't get to see that daughter. Um, I caused a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, both to her, her mom, and their whole family, um, you know, and I can see their point of view and, uh, it's going to be a long battle in, to, to get back into her life, but you know, it's one that I'm going to have to face, but there's one thing I know for sure. Um, I don't know if I'll ever see her again. And if that is to happen, I don't know when I'll see her again, but I know one thing's for sure. And that's if I start getting high, I am guaranteed never to see her again.
Um, so that's all I can do is stay sober for the day that, for whatever, whenever that is, whenever that day may arise, I need to be sober to be there for her, whether it's two years from now or whether it's she's 25 and she wants to know who her dad is. I have to be able to be available and I have to be sober to be available. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a, a driving force and why I stay sober today. But with that going, I'll, uh, I'll let Matt take over. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Dylan. And I just wanted to point out one quick thing for those that are just listening. Uh, when Dylan hopped on, he's wearing a sweatshirt that says you are enough. And that's all I could think of when he was talking about Spectrum and, and others welcoming him with open arms because they knew you were enough before you knew you were enough. Yep, so exactly. thank you for sharing for that, Dylan. And I can't wait to hear Matt. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, my name's Matt. Um, I'm the chair for the Spectrum alumni. Um, as Dylan said, it's it's funny that we're on this on this together. Um, there's rarely anything that we do separately. Like people know that we we kind of like come as a unit uh, when it comes to our recovery. Um, if we're there without one another, they're asking where we are, and um, you know that's relationships that I've never built before um, in my life, including family, um, including friends of the past. It was something I never had before. And uh, just so everyone has a little bit of, of background on our relationship. Um, you know, Dylan's like my brother today. Um, you know, he's in the room below me. We live in the same house. Um, we're doing this, doing this from the same house. Uh, but before that he was, he's, he was my best friend before he was my brother, before he was my best friend, he was my sponsor. And, um, before he was my sponsor, he was a guy who was giving back to spectrum and showing up every Thursday. And that's how I met him. Uh, every Thursday he would come in, um, with his group to do a commitment. Um, they came every Thursday. Dylan didn't come every Thursday, but um, when they did come, he was there. Um, so just a little bit of background on that. But, you know, um, I struggled. I've been struggling, been going in and out of places for the last about 11 years um, since I was about 22. I've been struggling with alcohol for a lot longer than that um, since I was about 14 or 15. Uh, I also thought it was just normal. Um, I would go out and party on the weekend. People would have house parties. Um, you know, people would throw bonfire parties and I just thought that was a normal thing. Um, when I started drinking at school, it like became a concern, um, not one of mine, but of other people. I didn't know it wasn't normal to fill a vitamin water full of vodka and drink it during school or rum. Uh, I just wanted to have a good time. I, I didn't want to study. I didn't know the impact that it would have on my life in the years to come. Uh, that was something that was tough to face. My junior year is when everything really started to hit the fan. Uh, I stopped paying attention at stu school. I stopped doing good in school. I started skipping school um, to smoke weed, to drink, uh, you name it. Um, more is also the name of my addiction. I, my true love is with alcohol. That's what, that's what brought me down to my knees. But don't get me wrong. When I was out on the street, if someone offered me something, I'd take it. If it got me out of myself and feeling different, I would take it. No questions asked. I almost didn't graduate. The only reason I did, um, my mother's a saint. Um, she's put up with me all these years. Uh, she stuck by me when I'm doing good, when I'm sober. She's right there in my corner to let me know that, you know, I'm not a piece of garbage um, and my mental state just isn't great. 
And uh, the only reason I graduated is because she went in there and fought for me. Um, in May, I graduated in June. In May, I got arrested at school when I was a senior. Um, and that really started started everything off. Um, when I got out, I uh, got an apartment up in up in Boston. And uh, it was basically ripping and running from there. My house was the party house. I was 19. I had a place of my own, a job of my own. And man, I just didn't know what was going to hit me. Uh, one day I hit this imaginary line. I couldn't tell you what day of the week it was. I couldn't tell you exact my exact age, but there was a line that I crossed where I could no longer wake up without having a drink in me to function normally. Um, it, it all came, came by so fast. It was just a, a nightly party thing. I could wake up and go to work and then I couldn't. Uh, Shortly after that, I had my first bout with homelessness. Um, I stopped caring about bills. I stopped uh, caring about my family. I stopped caring about relationships. Um, I really honestly just stopped caring about everything except alcohol. <clears throat> By this time, uh, my family knew what I was doing. They didn't want me at home. They didn't want me in their lives. Uh, they didn't want me around my nieces and my nephew. My mother didn't want me around her house. Um, so she sent me a text with a list of um, shelters I could stay at up in Boston. Um, my first experience with a shelter was Father Bill's in Quincy. Uh, I was 22 at the time. And uh, I'd never been on the street before. I didn't know what to make of it. I, I, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing, how to survive. I, I was just living day to day. Uh, that bought a homeless homelessness turned into about a year of being on the street. Um, most of the time not staying in a shelter because uh, it wasn't a wet shelter. Um, some of the shelters aren't wet shelters up there and they don't let you in if you've been drinking or using and they know about it. Um, so, you know, I had to learn to survive real quick. And um, not that I'm a tough guy or anything, but it was also like some of the first times in my life that I that I really got hurt. Um, when I didn't know what I was doing and, and, and people really didn't mess around. Uh, so I had to wake up really quick. I had a lot of arrests um, through that year um, and all through my 20s, just a lot of like drunk in public, open containers, unregistered, uninsured, uh, bench warrants over and over and over again because I would go to court and then I'd be like, oh, I promise I'll come back. And then I would never come back. And then they would bring me back again. And, just this, this cycle over and over uh, until one day a police sergeant in Quincy uh, decided to show me what a section 35 was. Um, I had no idea these existed. I didn't know that you could like be held um, due to a substance abuse issue. And um, I ended up in Matsy for the first time. Uh, take note of the first time. I wish I could say I got section 35 once. And uh, that was it for me, but that's that's not my story. Uh, I have to I have to be made to stop drinking. Um, I'm not someone who goes to voluntary detox. Um, like I said, that's just not my story. Someone has to has to keep me from a drink. It doesn't matter what's in front of me. Um, I can relate with Dylan so much about this. I will run it over every time until I realized like what was important and what wasn't. Um, <clears throat> So through the years, I, I went through halfway houses. I've been through residential programs, um, sober housing, 
uh, homelessness again and again uh, because I, I started this vicious cycle of 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 like detoxing, getting treatment, going to a halfway house, going to a sober house, and then relapsing and being homeless. And it turned into this this big cycle just over and over again. Um, and it's just no way to live. And uh, going through these years, I, I also ended up like being section 12, which at the time I didn't know what that was either. Um, I probably had about four or five section 12s, um, you know, a few for thoughts of hurting myself. And then few of them were for actions upon hurting myself. And I, I just, I didn't know the effect that it would have on my mental state, what real depression was. I didn't understand my feelings. Um, I couldn't understand why I couldn't stop. Why do I feel this way? Why? Why do I want it all to stop? Um, but not just stop drinking. That that wasn't that wasn't my solution. My solution was how do I make this all stop without stopping drinking? Um, and it's just that insanity part on and on. <clears throat> this last section thirty five that I was on, I, I got released and uh, I went down. <clears throat> my mother and my sister lived down in Plymouth. I went down there. Thought I could get better around family. Uh, my sister got me a job at a restaurant. Um, I was a chef at the time, so that was like what I did, either a cook, chef, um, anything that would be in a kitchen and could get me a paycheck without doing a background check, I was in. Um, so that's how I got those jobs. My sister put her neck out on the line for me, and every time I let her, I let her and my family down every time, no matter how many promises I make, no matter how many times I say sorry, uh, you know, just over and over again. And uh, when I when I reflect on it, you know, it's that it's that manipulation that I had when I was using. I, I remember being so sincere and not even knowing it was manipulation because I just honestly thought that this time was it. Uh, I'd relapsed and ended up being homeless in Plymouth, um, sleeping on benches, sleeping behind hotels um, at the beach. And this last time, my family was done. They were like. This is it. Um, we're washing our hands. Um, it affected my family so much that my my mother and sister actually didn't talk for for well over a year um, because my mom gave me a ride to. My mom ended up coming to see me while I was in Spectrum, and my sister couldn't believe it. Um, so to know that amount of turmoil and how it affects families. Uh, we just don't realize at the time. I didn't realize till I was sober until until all this was coming up about how much how much wreckage I had caused not only in my own life but my family and friends' lives as well. Uh, this last time they gave me an option. They said, "Matt, you can be section thirty five, we'll section twelve you, or you can voluntarily go to detox. We'll have a social worker come into the ER and find you a bed." <clears throat> I had had enough of being held held against my will, so I'll be honest with you. I was like, I'll take the voluntary bed and I'll leave as soon as they drop me off. Um, they found a place in Westboro. I've never really been out to like Central Mass, um, but it was Spectrum. So an ambulance brought me to Spectrum. Uh, it was August 31st of 2021. I had already been in the hospital for a few days. I was kicking. I was sick. Um, they had stopped giving me meds at the hospital. I was curtain and uh i walked in there there was this i don't know his name i wish i did but there was this this young kid and he was so nice and he offered me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and chips and i was like 
I was so thankful, but I, I just couldn't eat anything. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. I just couldn't do it. Um, so I ended up giving it away. But when I was there, uh, whenever I end up in a detox, I always end up seeing someone I know. And uh, my plan was to leave. And this kid that got there probably an hour before me, I knew him from past experiences. We we're in a, a halfway house together. Um, he reminded me of how stupid that plan was to leave Spectrum. Um, COVID was still going on. It was 2021. Um, it was in full gear of like things were shut down. There was no more question of what was shut down. It was this is shut down and this is how it works now. Uh, so the fact that I had a bed at Spectrum was was just God's grace that I was even there. Uh, from detox, I ended up going up to the CSS at Spectrum. And um, during COVID, there was TSSs were closed. There were six month waiting lists for halfway houses. And I had no idea what I was going to do. But I, at this point, I knew I didn't want to go back to the street. Staying sober wasn't even necessarily my goal at this point. It was more of like, I just didn't want to go back to the street. Um, I didn't know where I was. I didn't have any money. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and uh, talk about someone looking out for you. Uh, Spectrum had a residential program um, for adults, not young adults. and. Uh, you know, they had 10 open beds and I got one of those beds. Uh, just timing. It's just what it was. I was there at the right time. I got a bed at the right time. I, I was in spectrum at the right time. And like Dylan said, I can't, you know, without, without sounding like an ad or a commercial, I can't talk about it enough. Um, and I don't mean to sound that way. It's not blowing smoke. Um, I've never, I've never had recovery like this in my life before. I've been struggling with this for a long time. Um, and to be able to say that, like, I have over two years in recovery and like I have friends now. Um, this is the first time in 11 years that I'm not living in a program or on the street or in a shelter. Um, I stayed at that residential program for 10 months in Spectrum. Uh, it's where I met Dylan. <laughs> Dylan would come and pick me up. He would come every Sunday to do book work with me um, to get me through the 12 steps. Uh, he never canceled on me. I think one time he got COVID and they wouldn't let him come. And that was the only reason why he didn't come because uh, he's honest now. So he told them and they were like, no, nah, you can't come. Um, but he helped me build that foundation and, and, and what was important. And uh, Dylan is not, is not one of those pat you on the butt, um, good old boy kind of sponsors. You know, he was someone who like really lit a fire under me and was like, listen, man, there are no excuses. Um, if I'm doing this still and, and, and I'm in recovery, then you need to be doing this 10 times as much. Uh, excuses weren't an option. And, you know, that was something I needed. Um, it changed me a lot. And um, honestly, my life was just for the better. Uh, you know, nowadays I have a relationship with my family. Um, Dylan's like my family. My family invites him wherever wherever they invite me. Um, you know, it's it's just one of those those things like that came full circle um and it's been incredible and um being a part of the alumni was just something natural you know it was just uh they were doing it and i was like i hope they asked me to do it is how it's literally how that went and then they asked me and i was like yes okay cool um i didn't know what i was gonna do but i was like i know i wanted to be a part of it um there were people that were that are instrumental in my life that still show up to spectrum every week or go back every month. Um, 
And you don't know how much that can change your life until you really start to pay attention. Uh, and I think having, you know, having Dylan by my side, like he said, I was like, I'm chair, so you're going to be co-chair. Uh, we had to vote him in, but it was pretty much a shoe in at that point. Uh, I just knew I had someone that had my back 24-7. It was someone who's there, like, to support me, someone that'll, that'll show up. Um, we don't have to question each other when we ask each other to show up. It's just, it is what it is. Um, doesn't matter come hell or high water, like we'll make it there. Uh, you know, Dylan was saying, I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, I could, I could, and I don't want to drone it on and on and on. But, uh, you know, if there's, if there's, if there are people out there and they're from the area, you can find us at meetings, you can find us at events. Um, we do a lot of stuff in the community as well. Um, you know, so reach out to us, come to Spectrum. You'll see us there. Uh, that's really it for me. Thanks. Man. Thanks so much, Matt, for sharing your story. Thank you both. And so, you know, of course, the clinician in me, the chief clinical officer of Spectrum in me is really um, like, I just, this is, I can't believe how grateful I am for this conversation and for both of you. Um, a few things kind of clinically strike me in your stories that I think really tie into why it's important to stay connected to things like alumni, to groups in your 12-step community, because so much of your addiction story and so much of your recovery stories, both of you, really highlights for me the chronic brain disease that addiction is, right? Like you really, like, I think you described it really well, Dylan, when you were like, half my brain says to, to do this BS and the other half listens to it and thinks it's a great idea, right? It's because those brain pathways get so strong before you even know it, right? And so Matt, I think you described really well, like you were in it long before you even knew what it was doing to you. And all of a sudden, you don't know what day it is and you don't know what bills to pay and you're homeless. And And it really speaks to, you know, nobody intends to get to those spots. Nobody sets out and says, I'm I'm going to follow this really strong addiction path and I'm going to end up homeless or end up without my child or end up in any of these spaces. But that's what that's what addiction does to your brain. And those pathways get so deep and often what it takes to start to rebuild new pathways, right? When they say you can change your brain, that's because you can, it's time, right? So you both had an experience where you ended up at Spectrum Detox, which I love my detox team. And Jesse worked in detox. It's such a hard right. spot to be in because you only see people back when they're not doing well, right? Um, to really listen to this podcast and, and the patients in our detox listen to this podcast because saying yes to the further treatment, saying yes to whatever bed opens up by whatever grace of God that happens gives you more time, right? And more space to build those brain pathways so you can fill out those worksheets and actually do it with some intention. And you can start to build relationships with those that come for commitments every week, right? And build long lasting relationships. And it just really strikes me um, that there's, there's such similarity between your stories. And I love how interconnected they have become and continue to be. So I, and Jesse, I welcome your thoughts being an alumni of Respectrum Residential yourself. Um, but I'd love for us to spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, what you'd like to see the alumni do, what you'd like to see it grow, because there's a lot of people like all three of you in our communities who have been to our programs or to other programs and can be friends of Spectrum. I know we've got some folks we've kind of just pulled in and said, you're on our team too. Um, you know, how, how, what, what would you like to see happen? 
That's a great question. And I, I think it, it just kicked. Well, it didn't just kick off because you guys have been running with this for a while, but the, the connection, right. The staying close, the, um, you know, the, Matt, you said it perfectly, like, you know, see us at meetings, you know, see us at different events. We're at at Spectrum, um, just the the being around so that, you know, those opportunities can manifest for the people who are at Spectrum right now. And and yes, at least you're exactly right. You know, I'm, I'm thinking how many how many of these have we recorded where someone says, you know, I went to Spectrum Detox and then blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, you know, I, it, if that place had like a ticker in front of it for everyone that got sober, I, I don't even know how big the ticker would be. It'd be pretty big. Um, but right time, right place, right situation, right information. Uh, I'm fired up because, you know, it, this reminds me of the crew that I got sober with at Spectrum that now, you know, we're all I was I was talking to someone today, texting with a buddy of mine that, you know, we did a third step prayer together in Spectrum Residential and he's all the way down in Texas now. And like, we're all over the country and, you know, life happens and, and good life happens, right? Like married and kids and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So to, to see this, you know, the next generation, if you will. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just great that you guys said yes, that you guys both, you know, have this connection to each other. So at its core, it's, you know, not one person doing it. It's, you know, multiple people coming alongside each other. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what you guys have planned, what you're thinking about for events. I'd love to hear from either one of you that would like to share um, about what's coming down the pike for the Spectrum Alumni Association. So, yeah, I'll share real quick. Um so, so what it's doing for me, I'll just say what, what, what it's doing for me is like it, uh, it holds me accountable. Um, that was something that was big for my recovery. And even, you know, for people listening or whatever, you don't need to, you don't need to necessarily join a committee to be held accountable. It could be taking a job at your local meeting, making coffee, whatever it may be. Um, it was small things that I had to do at a meeting to hold me accountable. So I showed up every single week, picking guys up at Spectrum. Did I want to go out of my way every week to pick people up? No, but I told them I would be there. And since I told them I would be there, that means I had to be at the meeting. Like it was like that. So I, I had to go to the meeting now and I couldn't make an excuse not to go because I had three or four people relying on me for a ride. Um, and so that's also that's like what a, what a committee does. Um, I was on the Massachusetts State Convention for Young People in AA and we planned that whole convention. And uh, and I had so much fun. Was it hard sometimes? Yes. Um, is it hard dealing with like a democracy and everybody has to vote on something and it all has to be approved? It could be it could be frustrating. Yes, it could definitely be frustrating. But it was so fun to plan events, and and when it came down to it, like you know, the main event, um, it was such a good time, and that's you know essentially what I what I would hope for an alumni is to eventually be fully self supporting, where you know we wouldn't need to look to Spectrum for help. We would plan our own events, and we would charge you know charge for those events a, a suggested donation, as, as I would call it. And, uh, and then we could plan more events from any revenue you get off these events. Um, you know, I, I just want it to be a place where people can stay sober because you can't stay sober alone. And yeah, meetings are great. And, and uh, you know, book work is great. But like that fellowship um, that I found in AA is like a huge part of it. You know, it's like a balance. Like there's got to be a good, a good, you know, you got to get the steps in. There's got to be a good, a lot of work on yourself. You got to go to meetings so you can hear other people's experiences. Um, do the steps so you can work through your experiences and then like fellowship 
and just like have a good time being sober. I, when I was getting sober, I thought that was the end of fun. You're killing fun for me because the only way I knew how to have fun was to get high. And, uh, and I've had more fun in the last three years than I ever did while I was using. I had more fun in a single summer than I did my whole time using. Um, that's because I was on a committee. Um, I met my best friend, Matt, and, and, and we, you know, joined an alumni and I just want that for other people. Um, and it sounds like a lot, like when I was asked, Hey, join the Miski Pot committee. I'm like, Oh, that's a big ask. It sounds like a lot. Hey, take a job. So I took merchandise. I don't know a thing about shirts or selling shirts. It doesn't matter. There's people there to help me. There was people there that did it before me. That was like, yeah, you can ask me questions. Um, and I had such a good time doing it. So like for anybody listening that's thinking of joining the alumni or thinking of joining a committee, it sounds like a lot. It, it's really not that bad. It can seem overwhelming, but you have so many people around you to support you that that if you are hung up on something and you need help, of course, somebody's going to help you. And a lot of the times you're not even going to need the help because it's like it's it's not that it's not that bad. Uh, it just sounds like it's going to be a lot. Oh, I got to, you know, I had to take control of all the t-shirts. It was so fun coming up with designs to put on t-shirts. Uh, you know, it was like such a good time. And, uh, you know, I just, I just want that for other people. So if Matt has anything to say on it, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Matt, uh, I'd love to hear you talk about having fun. You do some cool stuff in recovery. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, we, we have, we're trying to, not overstep anything but we want to like shoot for the moon with this thing it's like it's like one of those things like we were we were talking about um coming up with uh shirts that we can give out to people when they come to alumni um looking to make our own graphic for what um spectrum alumni what our symbol would be um we just had a graduation in september um you know we're trying to kick that off at least twice a year um going forward um where, you know, people can come back and check in with each other and see how they're doing and keep in contact and get new numbers and meet people that have been there before to do that. Uh, one of the important things Dylan said was fellowship, and that's what this is. So one thing that I found is when I'm struggling, I can probably find someone in recovery that's either gone through it once, is going through it currently, or has gone through it multiple times, and they didn't have to take a drink or a drug to go through it. And that's an important thing to have. That's, that's what we need to thrive. Um, we need that help. We need that advice from someone being like, yes, you can do this. And this is how, um, and there are some things we figure out together. There are sometimes me and Dylan take on some stuff and we're like, you know what, man, we'll just, we'll just hit it head on. Um, uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> one thing we like to say is God's hands, we'll leave it up in God's hands and see, and see where this thing goes. Um, sometimes it's just about the effort that you put in and, um, we would love to see alumni to get to that level. Uh, Dylan's referencing MiskiPod, that Massachusetts State Convention of Young People in AA, because it was just something we did together. But that's that's what we're aspiring this level to be is where like events are happening, people are involved. We'd love to get residential involved. We'd love to get uh, other programs involved. Um, we'd love to get Weymouth involved, so when we can collaborate on different things. Um, this is all things that are in the work, but we're just in the beginning stages. So so we need the help. Um, you know, there's there's a, a few of us that are dedicated that are that are going back every month that are that are planning these meetings that work um, full time jobs. Um, we're with our families. Um, we're going to meetings. We sponsor other guys, but we're also doing um, other things like alumni and then working on stuff at home and 
Um, you know, so there's definitely some some help that could be used. But um, I got to tell you, we're, we're, we're really trying to go for it here. Um, we have big hopes for it. And um, we would really like it to kick off. And, you know, if it doesn't kick off, we'll still be there to support it. So if there's three of us that show up to that meeting, uh, we're there. We're there to support that other person that shows up and decides to join us. And if there's 100 people there, great. We can all exchange numbers, make an email list and keep in contact and help each other's recovery out. Um, you know, that main goal of the alumni is is to do the right thing and help someone else. That's That's what we would really like. I think, I think that ties to our theme, um, really. And that's probably what you were going to say, Jesse, right? Is that, um, you know, there's so much in recovery that is about giving back and that gratitude. And that's how you give back. And I, it just really strikes me that this alumni work is a way to consistently be thankful for what you've gained, but also to give it to other people. Um, and to build and grow that. And um, I'm really excited for you all to take this on, you know, years and years ago, probably when Jesse was in residential, we had, um, we had a stronger, um, you know, residential alumni, but things like COVID and building changes and all these things, you know, I've been at Spectrum will be 25 years, you know, a lot of that's fallen off, but I'm sure that there's actually some folks that would come back right to that group that were with us years and years and years ago. Jesse's raising his hand. So um, I think we just need to continue to work together. Like I think that that goal of togetherness to, to keep moving, right. To keep moving from three people to five to 10 to, to a hundred. Yep. However many people show up, it's the people that are supposed to be there at that time. I think, you know, as you guys were sharing your heart for this alumni program, I, I thought back to my time at Spectrum Residential in that old building that's no longer there. And I, I, I think it was once a month, the alumni were able to come back and we had dinner together. And I just, you know, I, I forget Dylan or Matt who said it, one of you said it and you share, maybe even both of you did, but the the power of what that meant. You know, here's people who were exactly where I was and then went out in the real world and did it without getting high and stayed sober every day without taking a day off. Because I, too, Dylan, heard that bullshit factory and in, in one that buys it. And uh, I put my own little spin on it where recovery is like the quality control in between. Right. Because mm. it doesn't matter how long you've been sober. You know, those brain pathways that Lisa referenced and I, I reference in my day job, you know, uh, those are strong and, and there can be some, you, you know, negative thought patterns that exist years and years into recovery or that stay with us forever. It, it's a matter of recognizing it and saying, you know, that's not a good idea. Why don't I call somebody? Right. Why don't I go to a meeting? Why don't I pick up somebody to sponsor? Right. I, I love the fact that there's a, a sponsor sponsee relationship here. Um, I, I wasn't aware of that when I met you guys, and uh, you know that just speaks to the power of the program and and, and the you know the the willingness of both of you to doing the work. Because I agree a hundred percent with you know the the fellowships important, meetings are important, but but the introspective work, right? The twelve steps are important too. Changing the person I brought in, uh, because if I don't change the person that I brought in, Dylan, you said it when we kicked off. Right. Doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. Insanity. Um, you know, you, you hear all kinds of different sayings, little offshoots on that one. Uh, one of my favorites since we're kicking around 12 step recovery is um, 
insanity is joining a 12 step fellowship and not doing the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm grateful for both of you guys. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And I, I look forward to hearing about the alumni events coming up and being a part of them. So if anybody's been connected to Spectrum Programming and would like to join the alumni, what's the best way for them to get connected? So we actually set a meeting for Wednesday, December 6th. It's at the administrative building in Westboro. Um, We still do in-person. There's an alumni and friends Facebook page. I'm the admin on there. So if you send me a message, I'm Matt Miller on Facebook. you know, I don't really care about my anonymity out here because you're going to see it on there anyway if you join the alumni. But, um, you know, you can find me that way. You can see us and you can ask you can ask any of the staff at Spectrum. There are posters. There are uh, pamphlets, um, you know. So, I mean, the information's out there if you want to join um, and we're there to receive you if you'd like to come. We can probably drop it in some of the show notes for this episode, too. I think there's even like QR codes to access it. Yeah, We've done there is. Yeah, there's QR yeah. codes so that so that I, um, me and Dylan can get your email and we can add you to the email list uh, to keep you updated on events, meetings and everything like that. Um, you know, me and Dylan try to run this as a team. Um, you know, it's it's just labels as president and chairs and co-chairs and and this, that and the other. But it's, it's just to help delegate. Um, you know, we're all a group, everything's voted on, everything's, we want to hear from people. We want to know what they want. What, what do you want to see all the listeners out there? Like, what do you want to see done? What, what would you like added? What would you like people to get to go out and do? That's what we want to know, you know? Yeah. I like that you said, um, everyone helps because like co-chair chair, it's all the same amount of power as a member at large. Everybody gets a say in everything. You help plan everything. And if you have good ideas, you get to put them across the table. They're, like Matt said, it's just a label. Awesome. Well, I'm very grateful for both of you and, and really excited to see what is coming next for the Alumni Association. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thank so you so much, much for having us. So with gratitude, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Thank you both for everything that you have shared and everything that you've done and everything you're going to do. Um, And I can't wait to see it all. Um, Everybody take care of yourselves. um, Stay safe this holiday season and do whatever you need to connect. If you need us in any way, please reach out to us. We're here to help reach out to alumni. Um, you know, reach out to Spectrum Programming if you're having a difficult time. You'd, we talked a little bit about family um, in this conversation today, too. And we do have a family support meeting on Wednesday nights. And so if anybody that's a family member is listening and you'd like some extra support, it's free and it's open to the general public, whether your loved one has been part of Spectrum and New England Recovery Center or not. Um, and uh, you can reach that group by just emailing magnolia at spectrumhealthsystems.com org. Um, and that's it. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have thanks again, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Matt.